This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. The kingdom of God is within you. And God works in our hearts that the kingdom of God, the rulership, and the government of God might be manifest in the ordinary lives of men and women who have found Christ, those whom he has caused to be a habitation of his spirit, subjects of the kingdom of God. Actually, God works to bring us to effectiveness in his kingdom. And if we think that it is an easy road to travel, if we think there are shortcuts to get there and come quickly to a place where we are ready to operate in the kingdom of God as God intends, we are in for a shock. God intends for his church to manifest the glory and the kingdom of God. And if we think by just attending church perhaps twice a month or three times a month and almost tagging our relationship with God on as part of our own life, if we think that we will arrive at being effective in kingdom service to God by that route, then we have failed to understand what serving God in the world is really all about. We have not understood the cost of what it means to walk with God. And yet the miracle is that God uses the very things that we walk through, the very things that we have to face and overcome, the trials, the tribulations, the hardships that we face in life. God somehow miraculously seems to take hold of those very things and en route and on the journey shapes us and prepares us and brings us to our most Effective season in service in the kingdom of God. Would you like to turn to your neighbor and say, your most effective days lie ahead of you. This is not a time to throw in the towel, friend. This is not a time to give in and adjust to an ordinary life. God has not called you to live an ordinary life. He has supernaturally equipped you by the power of his Holy Spirit to rule and reign in the kingdom of God. You have been brought to the kingdom of God for such a time as this this hallelujah i release you to be really pentecostal this weekend shout hallelujah shout at me say come on pastor preach it (laughs) mr soundman give me your eye Amen. So I want to speak about three subjects really that weave together over the weekend because I believe that God can bring us to a new place of effectiveness and we must look at Christ as our example. So my three subjects in the series are number one, the wounded servant, number two, the wounded savior, and number three, the wounded king. The message tonight is the wounded servant. Open your Bible with me, would you, to Matthew's Gospel. And whilst you find that, Matthew 20, verse 20, 
I just want to thank you for, becoming, for coming out on a Saturday night. Hallelujah. Thank you. On a Saturday night. But I said to my precious friends, Rob and Lorna, who are so gracious and look after us so beautifully, I, I said, where would we rather be on a Saturday night than in the house of the Lord? Hallelujah. So let me read this scripture for you. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of my, of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We grapple with the same spiritual enemies of our soul that the early disciples battled with. The majority of enemies that we face are flesh-based. I refer to ambition, self-interests, personal gain, characteristics of the lower nature. And the enemy knows how to use them very well. The desire for personal kingdom personal recognition, self-appointment to the throne of our hearts. But Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the crafty flesh would say, oh yes, I'll be a servant because I want to be great. The question Jesus asked them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And the answer was an absolute no, only Jesus, only Jesus could accomplish the work of the cross and the resurrection. What a wonderful savior we have. And yet in their spiritual ignorance and bombastic spirit and blindness, they said brashly, yes, we can. Jesus answered, you will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed drink as a result of what I do. But to sit at my right and left, these places belong for those to whom the Father has been preparing them. Isn't it true that only God can raise up men and women to heights of spiritual effectiveness in the kingdom of God? (coughs) See, he measures from a different view and a different perspective than ordinary vision. He sees beyond what we see. He knows our hearts, ways and tests, balances our motives and knows what is in us. The world... And sadly, the church is full of people who've arrived at places of authority through personal scheming and perhaps through democratic process. But have they been raised up by God? In Israel's history, we find the same issue and it broke the heart of God. Sometimes my wife and I have wept together as we've reached the realization that perhaps in times in ministry past, we have maybe not operated in the right way we should have. Maybe 
we've not actually made a good decision of every situation that we've handled. And I've personally stood before the fellowship where I serve on numerous occasions and actually asked them to forgive me for maybe not measuring up to how I should have been before God. I am surrounded by gracious and loving people who do forgive me and we continue to walk together. And the old pastoral system and the old approach to church would tell you, you don't do that, pastor, because if you do that, there's some people out there who will take advantage of your weakness, who will take advantage of your openness and your transparency. You'll be more wounded and you'll be more bruised and hurt if you expose your heart at that level. But when we look at Christ, my friend, we actually see that spirit of openness. Not that he ever failed, not that he ever asked, had to ask for their forgiveness because he was without sin and absolute perfection in every decision that he made that the glory of the Father might come. But we in our weakness and our frailty must recognize that we don't always get it right. And so Hosea 8 verse 4 says, they have set up kings, not by me. They have made princes, I know not. Tonight, is this, friends, I believe God raises up wounded servants because perhaps that is what it takes to bring us to the end of ourselves, the end of self-assurance, of self-confidence, of self-control in life, self-dependence, independence, self-will, selfish ambition, even self-survival, all have to go. I wonder if you're protecting your kingdom. Oh, all kingdoms will fall. One will remain. That which God has built not a building built with human hands, built with living stones, Hallelujah. the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. He will reign until all his enemies are under his feet. We have a victorious Savior who was wounded for our transgressions. And by his stripes, we are healed. One great writer of old said, give me three wounds, Lord. What a prayer to pray. The wound of contrition, the wound of compassion, the wound of longing after God, if we can call it a wound. The wound of contrition, one whose heart is so deeply humbled under the consciousness of sin and weakness. One whose proud and self-willed heart has been subdued and brought to obedience to God. One who is willing to accept reconciliation to God on his terms, not his own. The opposite of a stony heart who would resist. Full of the burden of guilt, of sin and all that challenge that comes. And yet so stubborn and rebellious will not come to God. The wound of compassion. Don't we need to see compassion in the church at a higher level? To have pity and the feeling of distress for others, to be moved in our spirit so deeply that it does stir us to action. And then the wound of longing after God. That causes us to be fully set apart from the things of the world. It becomes all 
consuming life priority. I don't think we are there yet. Tozer said, it's strange what a wound will do to a man. He then retells the story of those who went into battle strong, full of self-will and influenced by propaganda from home. They say even a person like that, once wounded, will weep like a baby for their mother. As you read the story of the great Christians and revivalists of old, you realize that many of them, most of them, were wounded souls. You say, Pastor, that's a bit heavy for a Saturday night. I, I just wanted to come along and get blessed, you know. I just wanted to, to speak a word to increase my faith because I'm facing something that's a nightmare right now. Well, I'm delivering what God has said in my spirit and we'll make the journey together. Look at how many of the Old Testament characters were stricken by God, afflicted, just as Jesus was. Let me remind you of some of them. Jacob, twice he met with God and each time he was wounded. He wrestled with God. It was flesh versus spirit. And one time he actually came away with a permanent limp. A sign of submission and brokenness before God. God removed his self-will. Elijah, he was struck with the sword of God. He was no longer simply one of Adam's race, standing up in his own assurance and confidence. He was a man who had an encounter with God. And when a man has an encounter with God... The flesh is the thing that God is absolutely committed to eradicating. It's the old man. Talking around Rob's table today. What a wonderful time of fellowship. We recognize sometimes we have to admit we're not as far on as we thought we were. <laughs> But he'd been confronted by God. He'd actually been defeated by God and brought to brokenness by God. If you read the story of the old revivalists, you will find that one of the hallmarks in every one of them is that they experienced the brokenness and the heaviness of the weight of the conviction and the convincing of just how awesome it is to be a habitation of God. Isaiah saw the Lord. And in the same breath, I saw the Lord. And in the same breath, he said, Behold, I am a man of unclean lips. Seeing God caused him to see himself as he really was. And Ezekiel fell down before the Lord and became as a child again. What a climate change. What a spiritual climate change. What a cultural change we would see in the church if God began to move and bring a spirit of brokenness. The heart of God. That's what that is. The heart of God in his people. You say, I just want faith. You know, I'm a big faith man, pastor. I'm a word, word, faith man. So am I. 
will become more effective when we drink from his cup. And God begins to move in our spirit. So the old man is dealt with. This is what I meant when I said the road to effectiveness is not an easy road. I think some people who maybe preach to thousands every Sunday who've become so big like a superstar one day we might see things slightly different. I've got a line here that you won't like to hear. It won't make me a popular preacher, Pastor Dave. This is it. Perhaps these wounds need to cut deeper into our hearts over this weekend so we develop them further. Number one, the wound of contrition. I'm sure, like me, you have been greatly troubled by the surface believism that seems to be on the increase, where there's no real change in those who profess Christ, a belief or even a confession where there's no real encounter of salvation with God. It's a common problem throughout the world. Perhaps it's because we have reduced repentance or contrition to just a change of mind. I know, for all you big theologians out there, I know repentance means turn around, change your mind. I know. But unless there is an awareness with a weight of God's conviction and, and persuasion that reveals my absolute emptiness and need for God, then the repentance might touch me mentally, but it won't touch my heart and my spirit. And I remember the day that I encountered Christ at a level that I had never known before. I've spoken about it so many times. It was an absolute radical salvation for this son of a pastor. And I tell you, I'd been taught at my mother's feet and my grandma's feet. I'd learnt all the stories. I could quote them, talk about them. I could do all. I could do the business. And then one day, just the absolute conviction of the Spirit of God brought me to a place where I called upon God and my heart was totally changed. I think up until then, I'd been trying to improve my life. And I see an awful lot of Christians struggling and striving to somehow improve life. For some, it's just about survival over the next issue. Is that the Christian life? I don't think so. It's more than a change of mind. It's the wound of repentance and contrition. It's a deep cut. You'll carry it through life. If you think the work of repentance is a one-off experience, think again. You see, in Pentecostal circles, we tend to put it in that box. 
I don't think so. I think it's a walk of repentance that God's looking for. Does it surprise you that I still wake up in the morning and I, I say, Lord, you've got to help me today to walk with you as a man of God. Let me be a man after your own heart. And I repent of my sin. You say, you're a pastor, you should be better than that. I'm an ordinary fella. That's what I am. You say, oh, you're a son of God. I know. But you see, until the rapture comes, <laughs> until the rapture comes, or the Lord calls me home, I'm still in this body. I'll be glad when I'm not. And when we see him, we'll be like him. What a glorious day. Hallelujah. What a glorious day. That's why the death of the saints is beautiful. Because there's no defeat. There's a victory. Friends, this wound I'm speaking of is an advantageous wound. It's the only advantageous wound. But we need it. This wound of contrition breaks the strength of self, produces pure motivation in service because it recognizes my own personal sin named, nailed Christ to the cross. Don't you think that's the work that actually helps us to realize that we don't want to be the greatest, we're willing to be the least. And even though we are fully aware that we have received full inheritance rights of salvation and sons in salvation, we know it's all of him and none of us. Secondly, the wound of compassion. Turn to someone and say, he's doing really well. He's on his second point already. The wound of compassion. I've got to be honest with you. I've sometimes asked the Lord to take that away from me because sometimes I think it's just a bit too much, Lord. But what has to happen in the heart of a woman or a man, a young person, even a child, that gives them a, a, an empathy beyond just sympathy, that puts feet on our feelings because compassion is beyond emotion. Compassion causes us to identify fully with the one in need to the point where we suffer with them. Now, friends, don't misunderstand me. This is not redemptive suffering. We understand Jesus suffered to save us all. Once for all, our salvation is complete. Hallelujah. But he does call us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Was this one of the things that the apostle Paul spoke of in Colossians 2, 24, 25, when he said, now I rejoice? in what was suffered for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present the word of God in its fullness. Then you think about those who in different parts of the world very recently have given their lives in martyrdom for the sake of the gospel. That's what it refers to. Not because there is some inadequacy or weakness in the suffering of Christ. There isn't. He bore it all. 
But what a wonderful spirit there can be in the church if this empathy and compassion was present. The man filled with the compassion of Christ has ceased the pursuit of happiness. Too many Christians are seeking happiness in the world. Instead, we need to be pursuing holiness and the service of God. And the message being presented to the church is, is affected by this approach. That which is popular, that which tickles the ears. We warned about those days. Let me burst a bubble, the prosperity message. Oh, ouch. Come to Jesus and life will get better. He will give you the desire of your heart. Yes, he will. But he'll have to change the desire of your heart from being for the things of the flesh, for being for the things of the spirit and the kingdom of God. Then he will give us the desire of our hearts. Because I'm absolutely persuaded that God will not give us the things of the world so we can be made happy by them. He is not committed to that. He wants to bless you and prosper your soul and prosper you in every way in life. But there is a reason. It's so you can take what he's put in your hand and invest everything you can in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. How awesome. My wife and I, we sit with our tithe and we say, Lord, we can't believe you blessed us so much. Fantastic, Lord. What a lovely big check we can put in the offering. Woo! Isn't it great? church wouldn't have a finance problem if people who followed Jesus were doing what they should be doing turn to your neighbor and say God has blessed you for the kingdom setting your theology tonight Here's another one. If things don't quite work out the way you think God should have done it, people throw in the towel. Friends, that's a time to take up the towel. It's an opportunity to prove God in the trial. You see, a problem is not a sign that God is not happy with you or that you've got lack of faith. No. We must have persistent faith that presses through and holds on and lays hold of God. And we must still do what his word has said, even when it doesn't come through as fast as we want to or in the way we want it to. God has not failed you. He just hasn't answered your prayer just yet. And he will use the very thing to form you and prepare you and equip you and bring out the son of promise in you so that you live the life God has called you to live and you become someone who is a true kingdom living Christian. Our maturity must rise beyond the point of just asking God for what will make us happy and make life good. We are called to serve others. We must put our time and our effort into the kingdom. And together, we can serve God with a right heart. But there's a price to pay if we follow Jesus. And my final point tonight is this. The wound of longing after God. I remember vividly 
when something changed on the inside of me. And I was more taken up and desperate to be alone with God than anything else. I would sit at my piano, well, my mum's, and for two hours after school, I would worship. I'd worship. I'd have my tea. My mum would say, have you got any homework, son? Sorry to tell you. Don't let your kids hear this. I think I did two pieces of homework in the whole of my schooling. I'm not proud of that, by the way. But you know what I was doing? I was opening the word of God and pouring truth into my spirit. We are pursuing success. We are training a generation, pushing, pushing at the highest level we could. For accomplishments and achievement. Some of you in this building, you might spend every hour you possibly could working to achieve something you are longing for. And I'm speaking prophetically now. And I believe God would say to you, when you get your hand up there on that thing, you will find it will not satisfy your soul and the desire of your heart. Will you invest the time, the energy that I long for you to give to my word and my work? It's a tactic of the enemy. It's a ploy of the enemy to get you so burnt out and distracted that you miss your calling. Let me remind you of a text that you could quote off your lips better than me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you you see i've told you i've been to this church so many times dave they all know my stories but it doesn't matter i couldn't even read at the age of 13 i learned to read by opening the book And I'd go to my mom and say, Mom, how do you say that word? Education would have been different for me now. I think I'd have had somebody sitting right next to me on one-to-one. <laughs> but I'm not worried. But sometimes I have to pinch myself and I say to Miriam, Miriam, can you believe how God has blessed us and prospered us? Every one of our children has been to a fine university. They've all come out with the best degrees they could get. Two teachers and a nurse that's flying with three practices under her supervision. I'm standing by and say, God, could you do that out of me? Hallelujah. Yes, he has. So we want our children to be blessed.
We want our children to be in government. We want our, our children to serve God. But come on, let's get our priorities right. For the kingdom of God is more important than success in the world. You will never be satisfied because of possessions. I grew up in a three-bedroom terraced house with a toilet outside. Four boys in one big room at the top of the house. One, two, three, four beds. Close fellowship. Absolute happiness. Beautiful mum and dad. I'd come down in the night because I often walk in the night and I'd come down. Dad away on the mission field and mum on her knees weeping. I say, what's the matter, mum? What's, what's the matter? Nothing, son. I'm just enjoying Jesus. And we'd fellowship together. Everything I needed, even a loo outside. I had the happiest childhood I could ever have. I did go to school with patches in my pants. I didn't ever own a bike. The one that was given to the family had no brakes. <laughs> so we trained ourselves to stop it by putting our foot <laughs> on the front wheel. <laughs> My mum discovered what we were doing because there was grooves in all our shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the groove ever since. <laughs> Glory to God. Don't get me laughing, otherwise we'll never get through this message. <laughs> Glory to God. No wonder for. I tell you these things because actually God put a longing in my heart for himself that produced a thirst that drives us to be alone with God. One of the great revivalist writers said he carried a restless thirst, a sacred, infinite desire of the need for God. Perhaps we have not yet experienced this inner work that causes us to be dissatisfied with nothing other than a deepening closeness to God. And I wrote down here, Lord, let this work begin in us today. But here's the miracle of the presence of God for the wounded servant. The wounded servant is healed time after time by coming into the presence of God. The wounds and battle scars are healed. Just as the good Samaritan took the one who had been beaten on the journey, wiped and washed his wounds, paid the price in full. Jesus gently restores us as we continue in the way. Speaking of church history in the past, someone said, among the falseness and plastic saints of his day, Jesus has to do all the dying. We just want another sermon about it. Jesus does all the sorrowing. We just want to be happy. Open your Bible with me as I move towards a close to John's Gospel, chapter 12. I realize this has been heavy tonight, but we are going somewhere together over the weekend.
Look at verse 20 with me. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. What a beautiful request. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now look at verse 27. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Whatever you are facing right now, you can use it as an opportunity to allow Christ to manifest his kingdom. Let your motivation be absolutely pure that the Father might be glorified. Make decisions tonight, and I'm speaking specifically to someone. Make a decision tonight to save and protect what you have and what God has given to you by seeking his kingdom anew from this moment on. Put right what you need to put right. Forgive. Seek first his kingdom. Not happiness, but him. Seek him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, seek him and seek his kingdom. The wound of longing for God will always keep you moving forward towards him, will keep us serving with pure motives. The things of earth will become less valuable to us. The things of the world will cease to move us as they once did. The world becomes a distant place and heaven comes closer as we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In this next paragraph, I have written, let me share my heart with you. The church is about to move into a fresh season it's not going to be comfortable. It might be very painful. The world stage is set for end time events to unfold. We are either skirting towards the edge of the tribulation period or the rapture is right at hand. This is not a time for you to give in. This is a time to seek him. 
to let your lamp be filled with oil. Do not give in, but strengthen your heart. Be of courage and filled with faith. We must be willing to do things God's way and not ours way, not our way. Let's ask God to prepare us to scale new heights of service. Ask him to make us effective. Real effectiveness and being raised to heights of service begins with kneeling and throwing ourselves totally upon him. Throw off the outer garment and take up a towel and serve the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. greatly challenged tonight, haven't we? And I love that. I love the Word of God to challenge me, to make me think, to go home and go to my bed and lie and think about what has been said and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Not in the congregation, to me. And if we all ask the Lord that in a personal way, then the Spirit will reveal what we need to hear. And if we need to change, we need to accept the challenge, then we'll do that. I want to encourage you to invite others tomorrow morning or tomorrow evening if they're perhaps they're not going any church at all. Invite them to come. And invite them to come to the house of God. And let's see God move. We have no idea what way the service will end tomorrow night. God wants to touch our hearts. He wants to challenge and change us. And really that's what church is about. is to change us, to make us effective for the kingdom beyond these four walls. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.